is Dougal, and you're listening to 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, fixing, modding, breaking, reviewing, playing podcast. All right, so uh, we got our intro from Dougal. Yeah. We haven't heard from Dougal in a long time. Uh, Jimmy Jr. was asking about his well-being, and... And, and lo, he, lo and behold, he appeared. He appeared. He's done an intro for us. We have a, a clip where uh, that we're going to play where he fills us in on yeah. what's going on. We'll play that a little later. Sometimes I feel like Dougal's kind of like Beetlejuice where you say his name three times and he appears. Yeah, you just have to mention him and he kind of feels that itch in his soul Yeah, and uh, appears. Which is funny because he doesn't have the internet that I know of. Uh at least not like any internet contact with us. Right. I I don't think he's able to listen to the podcast. Right. He has, doesn't he have like an old Walkman or something like that? Yeah. I think he heard the podcast like in a, in a telephone booth at a cafe or something. <laughs> Is that the story? <laughs> Why not? Oh man. Good old Dougal. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what's new. What is new? Well, I finally got my, my reverb project up off the ground. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Surfy Bear Bifet Reverb. And it's made by a guy who I think is in Norway or the Netherlands. He's in a, one of the more northern, colder sounding one, parts of One of, of the Europe. end countries? Yeah. One of the, you know, Norway and the Netherlands aren't anywhere near each other, right? Yeah. That's like saying, oh, yeah, he's somewhere uh, in America, like either Florida. He might be in Denmark. Or New York or uh, he Colorado. In, he might be in Holland. I don't know. He's he's in one of those. You know, Euro- Holland is the Netherlands, right? Yeah, he is in one of those European countries that I don't know anything yeah. about. Uh, <laughs> oh uh, because I'm uh, I'm just some dumb American. You right? are a dumb American. <laughs> <laughs> and your internet's too slow for me to look up where Surfy Bear is I know, located. Right? I, what is going on with my internet right now? I have no idea. Like everything is slow. Even when I I switch to 3G or LTE, whatever it is, like it's slow. It's like like the local just internet service is slow for whatever reason. Yeah. Like all my neighbors are watching Netflix or porn at the same time. Or uh, both. Yeah, or both. So, anyways, I got this kit. I got it used from a guy on Surf Guitar 101. Oh, okay. And he, these things are not expensive. The kit goes for like a hundred something bucks. Um, but this guy sold it to me for forty five because he bought it, intended to make it, could never get around to it, and then put it up for used. Right. Uh, so the kit was pristine. Nothing was missing. Nothing was already assembled. I finally got this thing put together. I had to order a power supply for it because it takes like 12 volt, which is something guitars just don't usually have around. Yeah. Um, so it's still not in a case, but I have it all wired up and it works now. And I plugged it into the pan, the reverb pan the other day, and it just sounds glorious. And I plugged it in and showed you a little bit. What did you think, Steve? Uh, it sounds really good. Yeah. Um, it's... I mean, you know, I don't have enough experience to compare it to um, like a actual reverb. Like a, yeah, like a tube reverb. But unit. it definitely sounds like a big spring, like a well thought out circuit on a spring. It doesn't sound like it sounds real. Yeah, it's and it just it just drips beautifully. When I get it cased up, I'll do a demo here on on an episode so you guys can hear it. I do have a video up on our Instagram. And on our Facebook group, so you can search that out. And it's just a quick little phone video. Yeah. Um, but I'm really impressed with it so far. I can't wait to get it cased up and get it out uh, playing in a show or in practice or something like that. Um, basically, it's a circuit representation of the Fender Tube Reverb Unit, which is a standard among surf musicians. Um, only the tube portion of it has been replaced by bifets. So the circuit for it is tiny. Like it, I'm going to be able to fit it in a pedal and then it connects to uh, a reverb pan, like a real spring reverb pan via RCA cables. Despite your attempt to name every country in Europe, you did not name the country that Surfy Bear oh, is located great. in. Where is it from? Uh, Surfy Bear is located in Stockholm, Sweden. That's it. Yeah, I had... 
I knew it was in one of those European countries. This just says Sweden, but I thought I read somewhere else that it was Stockholm. Yeah. So, you know, sorry, Surfy Bear. Sorry I messed up your country. If you're listening to this, <sighs> uh, accept my big, dumb American apology. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, so do I, do I have anything else I want to say about this? It's got three controls. Vol- it's got mix. Tone and dwell, which is your basic yeah. controls for these sort of things. There's people who do interesting things with them where they will hack in extra uh, mix knobs so you can have two different mix settings that you control with the foot switch. Do you know? Um, maybe this is something you've looked into. Maybe I, I just don't know amp topology enough, but I know like a reverb driver unit like this is basically like building like a preamp or like half of an amp or whatever and i know in the notes on the surfy bear page it says like oh it includes all of these things does not include output transformer but the power output on this thing is like two and a half watts or like Uh two by two and a half watts do you know it would it be possible to like add a second circuit onto this and just turn it into like a five watt bifet amp i have no idea but that's a good question I, I don't know what that would take. Maybe, like, There's probably some amp gurus listening to this right now who are just like, no, you're dumb. Yeah, amp gurus, uh, write us on the Facebook group or our email. Yeah, 60cyclehumcast at gmail.com. I know that there's an internal gain trim pot. So that can be that could be fun to play around with to get different sounds. I've been thinking, honestly, I might build... If I, I might get a second one of these because I want to have one that is mounted directly into my pedal board. Right. And then I might want to make a second one that's like a head unit. I might try to house two different reverb pans into one unit and do modifications to one of the pans, either by like muting the springs or just having it be a different brand or a different style of, of... Replace the stock reverb springs with like uh, pneumatic pump springs? Sure, sure. Like do something weird and ha- make it foot switchable so I can have like this reverb unit that does crazy weird things. Right. And so that's kind of the attraction to these is one is dirt cheap compared to a tube reverb unit from Fender or any boutique company making a, uh, a clone of these or their own version. Uh, two it's wide open and you can do whatever you want with it. If you have basic understanding of how to wire switches and pots and stuff like that. Yeah. So you can do a lot of fun, creative things with these. It's low risk because of the cost and because of the size. How much are they like if you buy them direct? I think it's like a hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. But it's it's a kit. the The, the board comes populated yeah, we, with the with we, the components, but you have to attach the pots and the input jacks and stuff. Yeah. Really, the only thing that you can go wrong with on this is if you wire the power supply backwards. Right. And I spent a lot of time really thinking about that and asking around just because I'm not a big electronics guy. Right. Even though there's a few things I've done with guitars, but that stuff is really low consequence. You can get that wrong, discover you did it wrong and then fix it. Yeah. If you wire a pickup, you know, like two pickups and a strat and you wire one of them backwards and all that happens is when you're in like the, to the two or the four position or whatever is it you, you instead of having like that out of phase tone you know or like that humbucking tone you just have like no output because right. because the two pickups are canceling each other out completely yeah i mean i've i feel like i'm better at wiring guitars wrong than i am at wiring them right <laughs> uh, so if you're looking for the wrong sound out of a guitar give it to me and i'll, I'll get it there first thing yeah, yeah um i'm i'm better now than i used to be but i used to do everything by trial and error basically right which is how you learn things honestly yeah yeah you, for know, sure. you learn things the long hard way is, mm-hmm. which is how i do it that's what she said yep um so next thing on what's new is i got a dd6 boo <laughs> I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's it's definitely not as warm of a delay as my DD3, which right. which actually does have some a little bit of warm degradation to the repeats. Well, DD3 is stands for digital delay 3 and that's boss's analog delay. Yeah, it hence the name digital delay 3. It's it's got a component in it. I forget the technical details, but it's got a DD3 has a component in it where it actually is part analog delay. And so the repeats do start to soften up. Right. Not as quickly as a traditional analog delay, 
but just enough where it's like you get a little character with a DD3. The DD6 doesn't have that, obviously, but it's got some really neat functions. I really like the warp setting, which is kind of like the kilobyte delay from Caroline Guitar Company. Right. Where you set it to warp and you press the foot switch, and all of a sudden the uh, delay time and the repeats, not the delay time, just the repeats maxes out. So okay. so suddenly it'll just go off into affinity, and it actually blends in and out. So huh. it's kind of like a softer effect than the kilobyte, where the kilobyte is is crazy. And we'll talk about that next episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we already talked about it on our previous. We'll episode. talk about it again. Um, there's the reverse setting on there, which is fun. I don't know if I'll use it. Uh, there's a hold feature that is kind of like a poor man's, uh, you know, EHX freeze sort of thing. And there's actually the hold function on the DD3. I just never use it, so I'm not. I don't really care. Uh, it does have tap tempo, but not a output jack for it. Right, and and really, like when I boot the DD6, the DD6 has a lot of great features, and some of those features carried over to the DD7. Uh huh. Um, I don't remember if the DD7 has the warp mode. Uh, the DD6 might be the only one with it. Right. But. Um, the DD6 in general was just considered a huge misstep by Boss because the DD5 was such a great pedal because of the external tap tempo. Right. And internalizing the tap tempo on the DD6 was, I think the DD6 came out, out after the Echo Park from right. Line 6. Um, so it was kind of like Boss trying to be like, well, the Echo Park's getting a lot of success with this internal tap thing. But the way that the Echo Park does it is you basically have like two depths with your stomp uh-huh. where it's like if you basically stomp all the way down, it turns the pedal on and off. And if you step like halfway down, that's your tap. I personally hated that feature yeah, you of had, the Line 6 stuff. You had that on the, uh, was it the... Tra- I had the Verbzilla and the I Verbzilla. had the Tap Tremolo. The Tap Tremolo, that's the one I was thinking yeah, of. I hated it because I was always accidentally pressing it on because I'm the type of guy where I engage my infe- my effect Right. And I linger on it, like my, leave my foot on the switch. And so I was constantly accidentally getting into tap mode, and then I couldn't get my specific speed setting back on my tremolo. Right. So I hated that. Uh, you hold down the button for a couple seconds on the on the DD6, and then you're in tap, tra- yeah. tap delay mode. I'm probably not going to use it very often. Sure. Because I usually use... Digital delay is well, more of like a slap back. Yeah, you have the bellwether if you want tap tempo. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, and another thing. Uh, I just discovered that you can link the Gravitas uh, tremolo and the bellwether delay. You can link their uh, tap outputs or inputs. Right. And they will control each other so you can sync tapping on them R- just right. with one cable in between them. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a neat thing uh, concerning pedals that we've already talked about a lot. Yeah. The the DD6 tap function is the same one that was on the Digitech Digidelay. Uh-huh. Where it's that, you know, like you said, like you hold it down. Um, I just, that would, so the Digidelay was the first delay that, or the first tap delay that I owned. And I just hated that, the way that function works because... One of the things that I love about the DD5 and that Boss brought back with the DD7 because there was such like a user like outcry for it uh-huh. um, is that the external tap is always on. Yeah. So even when the pedal's off, you can be tapping and, sure. it, and it does it. With the DD6, basically like you have to turn the pedal on and then hold the thing down for like a second or whatever and then do your tap real fast. And basically, by that point, like you've missed like four measures. Yeah, a couple seconds in a song is a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like if you're using it all any of the other functions. Yeah. On this, if you're just using the DD6 like in place of a DD3, or you know, for the warp or the reverse or whatever features, or just to make sounds, um, it's a great pickup. And actually, the DD6 is pedal. You said pickup. No, I, I mean it's a great pickup. Oh, like, good. Like to okay. pick up. Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know what what do DD6s go for on the used market? Not a lot. Really? They actually sell for like I want to say they sell less for less than the DD5 now. Wow. 
Um, the last time I looked at used prices on the DD6, I want to say it was from like fifty to seventy dollars. Wow! Whereas the DD5 is typically like seventy to ninety dollars. So that's you know, that's, and then the DD7 is like ninety to one ten. I'd say in in that price range, if you're looking for a decent digital delay and you don't need uh, ready to go, get an Ivan as DD7. <laughs> I think the DD6 is a is a solid option. Yeah, if you're looking for the budget, you know. Yeah. It's a digital delay, which means crisp repeats. Yeah, tons of features. Tons of features. Which you're probably not going to get that many features on a digital delay for less than sure that. Unless you buy a Behringer. Don't buy the Behringer. Yeah. You're going to step on it once and it's going to collapse under the weight of your, your well, bulking my, bulk. Here's, and, here's the thing. You can buy a used DD6 for, what did we say, like 50, 60 bucks? Sure. And then when you're done with it, if you decide you don't like it, you can flip it and get your money back. You can sell yeah. it and get that 50 or 60 bucks back eventually. But if you buy a Behringer pedal, the thing with Behringer pedals is that they're so cheap that it's impossible to get them cheaper on the used market. Right. Because by the time you're done shipping them, they're the same cost <laughs> as a new one. So it's like they're a terrible buy if you plan on ever selling it because you'll pay $35 and free shipping on Amazon and then you'll get this thing and you'll have to sell it for $30 on on Reverb or Craigslist and pay the shipping or have to drive somewhere and you'll and so it's like you know you it's it's just not a good buy, you know. You can get someone to buy your boss pedal for what you paid if you yeah. paid the right price. <laughs> yeah. So that's you, that's the key. Yeah. So it's that's what I'm saying is you know buy the the original version not the clone from Behringer. And then get your money back. Don't buy the Behringer and then lose money. Because it's like, I know it's cheaper in the short run. You see that pedal, it's 35 bucks, And you're like, oh, it's half the price of uh, you know, the 75 or the $70 pedal. Right. But you're not going to get that money back. Yeah, Behringer stuff holds value worse than like Joyo and Moore and all that yeah, too. Yeah, just because it's a plastic case, you know. But the Joyo stuff too is so cheap that in, in price that you th- you you're not going to get your money back. Like you're going to pay for the shipping, and then you're you know you've lost money. Okay, so uh, let's wh- do some ads. No, well, no, yeah. no. Uh, we've got a new uh, we got a new what's it oh, called? Oh, we a want new to do that now. We have a new guy giving us yeah. money. Uh, Kevin Triplett, welcome to the Seeking Cycle Hum, best friends. Yeah. You're not in the inner circle. Not you're, in the inner circle. You're a five dollar. But hey, guy, but you're in the five dollar best friends club. Yeah. Um, are we going to give him a shirt? I was going to talk to you about that, but I wasn't going to do it on air. Okay, we'll figure out. And if so now that we're doing it on the air, I feel like we probably should. We'll give you a shirt, Kevin. Yeah. Here's what we'll do, Kevin. Um, we'll wait until your first uh, pledge amount clears because it's once a month. And then we'll send you a shirt after that. Yeah, that'll basically that? cover your shipping. Yeah. Uh, so look for an email from one of us in the next few days, um, or possibly even before this episode airs, Yeah. where I will ask you for your size and your address. And if you do not give me those things, you will never receive a shirt. And then the uh, the other new thing we have to talk about is we have shirts. Oh, yeah, we have shirts. <laughs> so we've decided that the price point on these is going to be $20 shipping included. Yeah. And that's on the assumption that we'll be able to ship this to you for about four or five bucks. Yeah. Uh, so it might be cheaper for some. It might be more expensive for others. When we find out how much it costs to ship to Canada, we might have to make an adjustment there. <laughs> um, we but, will be shipping these first class because we are first class guys. I, we I, are a first class operation. I do not understand the way the post office names or stuff because you think first class would be top tier well first class and is then, it first class just the normal um uh, i think ba- pretty much yeah like when you send out a letter in the mail it's going first class right they're not going to have a, a a low class option right well there's like media mail uh is slower um there's a couple other but media mail is like if you're sending somebody a book yeah um which uh, I wish there was a way we could like skirt, like throw, like we should print out sixty cycle hum pamphlets. Oh my gosh! Just so we can call it media and like tape them to the shirts. Yeah, that's like, probably illegal. Probably. 
We'll f- we'll figure out the best way to ship these things. Like I said, twenty bucks shipping included. Uh, they're beautiful shirts. They're on a charcoal heather shirt with a yellow print. It just has our logo. With the the logo has a nice natural relic to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, guys, you don't have to wash this shirt for like three years, once a week for three years to get that look. To get that look, it comes. Yeah, it, we took, already there. We we picked up the Fender business model. And we're doing uh, we're doing natural relics on our the, shirts. The upside of a naturally relic shirt is all of the shirts that I have that I have like actually gotten to that point and wear are all like have holes in the right like right. torn torn hems yeah. or holes in the armpits. Charcoal heather shirts whatever. are famous for being long lasting shirts too. Really? Yeah, they don't fade. They don't. They, if you stain them, no one can tell because they got kind of like a noise to them. Yeah. Uh, the fabric on them, like the threads, hold up really well. Like when I worked in the shirt industry, it was like they passed all the endurance tests with like flying colors, charcoal yeah. heathers. I I've always liked the feel of heathers in general. Yeah, they're softer. <laughs> they're nice. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of people on the group on the Facebook group had questions about the shirts we were picking. Like, oh, I, I want it to be a, a super heavy shirt like a Gildan or a Hanes Beefy Tee. And some people are like, oh, I want it to be tissue paper thin like an American apparel. Right. These are kind of right in between in the middle. I don't know if you've touched one yet, Steve. I haven't touched one. But they're uh, they're kind of in the middle. They're soft. They're not paper thin. And they're not cardboard thick. Like, they're kind of right there in the right. middle, you know? Right. They're going to be comfortable when it's hot. They're going to be comfortable when it's cooler. You know, it's it's... They're, they're a nice compromise. I think you guys are going to enjoy them. I don't think anyone should worry like, oh, is this shirt going to show off my nipples? Or is this shirt going to be, you know, too clingy to my skin? It's just a shirt. Don't yeah. worry about it. Hey, Ryan, I have a question for you. Yep. The question I have is, what is this? A fashion industry podcast? <laughs> well, anyways, if you want to order a shirt, uh, basically we have... Uh, uh, first preference to the inner circle and we're going to get those shipped out this week yeah. hopefully the inner circle also that in- includes the best friends right right oh yeah anyone yeah. five dollar level and up yeah is, so best friends inner circle yeah you're all getting shirts hopefully this week yeah as soon as we get our shipping materials in we will and yeah. we get addresses yeah we have to get those uh, addresses we will, we will be shipping these out um, and then after that whatever shirts are left over twenty dollars shipping included if you order two shirts uh, then we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Uh, we'll figure out how much we need to <laughs> subtract off of that for the shipping. Yeah, probably like five bucks. Yeah, we'll figure it out. It might so be. be like, it might end up being the same if it's by weight. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it'll be like we'll just call it thirty. Probably just call it thirty-five bucks for two shirts. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I don't know why anyone would buy two though. For their girlfriend. For their girlfriend. Wife. No, it looks. I I gave one to my wife. It looks pretty good on her. Yeah. So. How many shirts are you going to give away, dude? Uh, just that one. Okay. Yeah. I'll probably give one to a couple people who have helped the show, like Tyak. No, dude, he has to pay. You th- yeah, he wants us to pay for his shirts. Let's do an even trade. He's already in the circle. Let's do... He is in the circle. No, he's not in the circle. He's in the best friends. But that means he gets a shirt. Right. So he's going to... He was our first uh, pleasure. You, you know what? Maybe he forgot. Let's see if we can do a trade of a 60-cycle hum shirt for a salvage custom shirt. That's what I'm saying. But although he is paying us money, so we should probably just give him one. No, dude. He probably forgot. <laughs> he forgot that he's sending us money every month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll figure something out with you, Tyak. Uh, we just want some of your shirts. And uh, you're going to get one of ours. Um, yeah. If you want a shirt... Email us at 60cyclehumcast at gmail.com. Remember to put your size and your shipping address in the notes when you PayPal us $20. Yep. And we will start getting these out. And when, when you run out, we will take that money and we'll get even more shirts. Yeah. So this is going to be a uh, self-feeding cycle. Uh, next up on the new thing, I know it's a, a long news cycle. I know, man. Uh, we have a uh, update from Dougal. Okay, so here we go, and then after that, we'll do ads. All right. Uh, hey, fellas. Uh, this is it's your, it's your old friend Dougal here. I just wanted to call and check in and let you guys know that I'm back with my grandma again. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm living in her basement, but I, I can't talk long. i got to get back online. Uh, I'm, I'm actually working on a new project. I'm backing up the entire Internet on DVD. Um, so, uh, 
I mean, things are going pretty good, but it gets a little murky sometimes. Anyway, uh, um, if anybody's interested in helping me, I've got a, an entire iPod with uh, only Kyle Smithing picks on it, and I'm willing to trade that for a little bit of time in the backup studio. So anyway, I I, I gotta go. I gotta get back online so I can uh, get the backups going again. And um, if anybody else wants to help out, I, I need some money for for uh, more DVDs because I'm just kind of, I'm starting to run out. And um, maybe I don't know. Maybe the maybe the guys there and uh, um, the guys there at uh, Office Depot where you live might cut me a, a bit, bit of a deal. Uh, anyway, fellas, <laughs> keep it sleazy. All right, good to hear from Dougal. Yeah. Hear what's up with him. He's making all those DVDs of the internet. <laughs> that's, a, that's pretty cool. How many DVDs do you think you need to DVD up the internet? You can store a lot on a DVD. Uh, so. Hey, I got a question for probably you. Probably a million DVDs. I got a question for you. Uh-huh. Um, we're in this room. It's a yeah. pretty big room. Yeah, not bad. Right? Um, now, think about the Empire State Building. Uh-huh. If you think about pennies. Okay. Now, imagine a stack of pennies that goes from the sidewalk at the Empire State Building all the way to the top of the Empire State Building. How are you going to drop them on someone's head if it's a no, stack? No, it's just of- a stack. It's okay. just a stack that's like, you know, however many stories high, right? Okay. Do you think you could fit all those pennies in this room? It's possible. Yeah? You think it's just possible? I think it's possible. Okay. What Why? What? What are you going to do? Oh, I just wanted to ask you that. I, I know what the answer is, but I'm not going to tell you. What's Oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what, do, what do I have to do to find out the answer? Well, if I tell you the answer, then our listeners won't have the joy of trying to figure out whether or not your answer is good or not. Okay. Yeah. Where are you going with this? I'm not going anywhere. I just wanted to ask you that. Okay. So your your own personal quest to learn. Yeah. Well, someone, uh, one of my coworkers said that that was like a good uh, interview. They thought that was a good interview question. Oh, okay. Um, and and uh, yeah. So I have a question. Another question. I for mean, the you, way Ryan. the way I the way I kind of conceptualize that is that I look at this room, <laughs> and I figure the length of it is probably at least two stories high. Okay. And then I don't know how many stories the Empire State Building is. Okay. But I figure if you've got a line of pennies going across this room enough times, you're probably going to equal the amount of stories that there are. Yes. On the Empire State Building, and probably have extra room left over. You will probably have. All right, I'll answer it now that we. It's been a, a minute or so. Yeah. You should probably have a lot of room. Yeah, a lot over. of room. Because a penny is only like what? Like uh, an inch across, uh, not even an inch, like half an inch across. Yeah. So you would probably have a stack that's like a hundred in. I want to say the Empire State Building is like 30 stories or something. <laughs> is it only 30 stories? I don't know. You gotta- I don't know. I just I just can't imagine that that many pennies wouldn't fit. Yeah, in here. regardless of how tall it is, the question you have to ask yourself is like, can you fit a hundred stacks of pennies in here? Because if yeah. you can fit a hundred stacks of pennies in here, this ceiling is like seven feet, maybe. Yeah, totally. So that's seven hundred feet that you would cover in pennies. Yeah. So that's your answer. No, it, it totally fit in here. But it's kind of like a crazy. It's like a conceptual trick, like to right. see how. If people think spatially, or if they just go, "Wow, that's really tall," and they it's don't, like a lot. Of, a lot of people don't think about the fact that a penny's small, right? It's like, you know, it's the question of like, what weighs more, a pound of bricks or a pound of feathers, exactly, you know, exactly. So it's like it's both the pound. Yeah. Um, uh, Ryan, I have a que- another question. Okay, for ask you. me your other question, Steve. Uh, what What is this? A human resources podcast? <laughs> it kind of feels that way. What Where do you see yourself in five years, Steve? <laughs> Well, in five years, Ryan, I'm hoping this thing takes off and I'm just podcasting 24-7. So you're hoping that you have my job is what you're saying. <laughs> but is your job to podcast no, 24-7? No. no, but that's that's always like the trick with those questions is you're like, oh, I hope that I'm running this place. And so you feel like you should say, because then it sounds like you're ambitious. No, dude. Whenever but then like the person hiring you probably just wants you to do the same job for five years. Yeah. Straight. Whenever people ask me that, they're like, what, they want, you know, it's exactly that. They want to know if you're, 
ambitious or whatever. But I'm always like, shoot, dog. I just hope I have a job in five years. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Jeez. So let's finally get into ads. This has been a long... 1,250 feet, uh, 1,454 feet to the tip. <laughs> now you're just bragging, Steve. <laughs> All right. Just in time for Halloween. Oh, man. Josh Scott originally posted this on a secret group that you guys aren't allowed to know about so I'm You're not, not even, even supposed to know it exists. Yeah, Good job, Ryan. Well, they don't know the name of it, so they never will. Yeah. Um. So this, th- he posted this and tagged me. And he it's, said, it, he, for JHS also posted this on Instagram. Yeah, but, he, but before it was on Instagram, they requested that we put this on an they, episode. We knew about it a good three or four days before anyone else. Yeah. Uh, I saw it on Gear Talk Praise and Worship. Did you? Yeah. Okay. So Josh Scott posted this photo and he says, "Someone shipped me a guitar padded with this, Ryan Burke." talk about this the implication being talk about it on the podcast it is a picture of a pillow without a pillowcase yeah that's a great way to ship a guitar use a pillow yeah use a pillow well it's expensive if you're going out and buying a brand new clean pillow to pack your guitar with but it's not expensive if you're using a pillow that appears to be stained with blood and feces yeah this thing looks horrific well you know uh, I saw some other comments on this, not in this group, but in other groups where this picture's been shared. Uh-huh. And there are some theories that maybe uh, this was a pillow owned by Patrick Bateman. Oh, my gosh. Uh, from, you know, from American Psycho. Yeah, American Psycho Pedal. Yeah. Uh, American Psycho Pillow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's possible. Although he's pretty good with the plastic sheeting. I don't think he would get his pillows oh, okay. dirty like this. It's more, you know, like a Dexter pillow or something like that. Or, you know, maybe this is a pillow from a guy who's uh, got... Un- he lives in a dry climate where he has constant nosebleeds. Or it, there's a lot of awful scenarios that could happen with this pillow. Let's be honest. This was the pillow that we used to rest your head on after we filmed the Gravitas demo. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, if that was true, then there would be nothing wrong with this pillow because it would just be Hershey syrup. But this is foul. Whoever yeah. did this, whoever shipped him a guitar, I hope that they saw this post and felt deep shame. I'm pretty sure this pillow was was sent to Josh by Doug Cower. Probably, yeah. If watch Josh Scott's, uh, you know, social media feed. If you see him playing a new Cower, then you know that Doug <laughs> is the one responsible for this uh, poop and blood smeared pillow. You think there's poop on this too? You know, it's hard to tell, and that's why I'm not willing to discount it. Oh, okay. I mean. Is that blood? Is it poop? Is it both? It could be, you know. It could just be, you know, you know. The, the a uh, a scenario I proposed in the original post was that, as far as we know, this was a pillow that is used in a pillow fight, and someone was drinking a chocolate milkshake. Right. Chances are, it's blood and poop, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, odd, there is a chance that this pillow was used in a pillow fight where someone was drinking a chocolate milkshake. And while the guy was drinking a chocolate milkshake, the guy who was actually holding the pillow held the pillow up and punched through it and broke the dude's nose and the no- yeah. guy's nose bled all over the pillow. Right. And then he fell on the ground and then died and then shooted diarrhea all over it. <laughs> As people are... Shooted? Yeah. Shot diarrhea all over it. No, shooted. Yeah. Shooted diarrhea all over it out of his butthole. Uh, as people are prone to do when they die. I'm going to put that in if, our next marketing pitch. If I've learned anything from South Park, people shooted diarrhea out of their butthole and they die. Yeah, that's our definitely our next marketing pitch. Hey, uh, so if if you've ever want to see any of our work, we've shooted demos for Chase Bliss, <laughs> JHS, Walrus Audio. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I don't want to compare our, our pedal demos that are beautiful and wonderful. We've shooted to, so many demos to diarrhea, but it's not that dissimilar. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh man. man. Next ad. Yeah, shooting a demo kind of wrecks my day just like diarrhea does. So <laughs> I'm going to shoot at you in the face. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. Ibanez. This thing has been making the rounds on the Facebooks. You know Ibanez? Uh, yeah. This this pedal here. It's we're talking about the tube screamer, right? Oh yeah, yeah. This thing has been making a lot of uh, a lot of splash on the Facebook. People talking about it on all kinds of different well, groups. This Ibanez tube screamer is from the 1980s, and it uh, supposedly was owned by Stephen Raymond Vaughn. Vaughan. 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 
Is that how is that how you say his name? Stephen Ray Vuhan. I'm pretty sure Ray is short for Raymond. Stephen Raymond Vuhan. Vuhan. Okay. Was, he, had was, a bro- he had a brother named James Vuhan. Yes. <laughs> Everyone knows James Vuhan. Vuhan. Okay. So are they related to James Duhan, who played Scotty on Star Trek? <laughs> All right, this it's is $11,000 plus $70 shipping on Reaver. Yeah, in case you didn't understand our, our weird inside joke, it's Stevie Ray Vaughn's yeah. Tube Screamer, or yeah. one of his Tube Screamers, because he was... He had you know, two. I feel, like, I feel like this is an incomplete ad because it's only one when he's known for stacking two at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, yeah, you've got one. You still don't sound like SRV. Yeah, you need two. Yeah, you need you need both of his. Uh, this thing looks like it's been through a, a dryer with a brick. Yeah. Uh, it's super relict. Uh, paint missing all over the place. It looks cool. $11,000, though. What do you think about that, Steve? Um, I don't know. You know, I think this is a thing where I could see, like, a super hardcore collector. I mean, obviously, like, this pedal at $11,000 isn't going to be any better than, like, another, like, a 1981 Tube Screamer. No. TS-808 that you could buy at, like, three or $400, whatever they're going for now. Right, right. Um, this is just the one that pr- probably has his sweat on it still, you know? Yeah. Um, the question is, I would have... This is one that he put his fancy boots all over, so... Yeah, um, now he says that the ad says Stevie Ray Vaughn's personal Ibanez tube screamer TS-808 uh, Cesar Diaz SRV's tech sold two of Stevie Ray's tube screamers after he passed this is one of them real deal absolutely legendary literally the reason the tube screamer is as popular as it is today um, but what I wonder is like is there any sort of auth- like way to verify that this was actually owned by him <sighs> Is there any like it's if this came with like a C of COA, I could see this being worth eleven hundred thousand. Sorry, eleven thousand dollars to the right person. Uh, but as is, like, it's like you said, like I could just take a tube screamer and throw it in the dryer. Yeah, with a few rocks for like an hour and get the same looking pedal. Yeah, it's, I forget what the the terminology is in in like the art world where you have basically a paper trail going from the artist right through every buyer and that's kind of what you would need for this you need a paper trail you need to know every person who owned it and like assigned you know piece of paper from them because it is basically it's not a guitar pedal at this point it's not a piece of musical yeah. equipment it's a museum piece based on you know who it originated from um and I mean, I guess like if I think about it, other types of this sort of equipment have not necessarily pedals, but like other famous guitarist piece of equipment um, have sold for a lot of money. Like didn't sure. didn't Blackie sell for like over a million dollars? Eric Clapton's sure. Blackstrap. I mean, you think about any you know any guitar that was owned by a famous person. You know, like any guitar surviving that was owned by Jimi Hendrix. Someone isn't out there playing that right now. It's in a glass case on a millionaire's wall. Well, actually, I've got it in a gig bag in, in my uh, outside storage. <laughs> yeah, it's up in my mom's attic, you know. Yeah. Um, After today, it's melted in your mom's attic. I know. These things aren't out there being played unless the person who bought them has the guilty pleasure of pulling it out on their birthday and playing it or something, right. you know. Or pulling out at cocktail parties and be like, oh, you want to watch me play Jimi Hendrix Strat? Right, and everyone at the party's like, "Oh, we're so rich! Oh, we're so fancy! Oh, watch me drink this Budweiser out of a crystal glass!" Yeah, <laughs> so we're commoners. This thing sold on Reverb. It's which, actually sold, it, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, um, I don't know if that's based on an offer or if it sold for the asking price, but someone saw this and was like, "Yes, I have to have that." So. But like I was saying earlier, you kind of have to have the matching set, don't you? For it to really count. <laughs> well, here's the real thing is $70 shipping. I know. The only thing I can figure is in in a way like $70 shipping 
adds legitimacy to the idea that this is the real deal. Well, that's insurance. Because that means somebody's put, like, somebody, I don't know how much insurance, like, what the rates is. Yeah. But it's just, like, somebody's shipping this for, like, 10 bucks and putting, like, 60 bucks worth of insurance on it. Yeah. Can you imagine if this showed up at your, at your door and freaking the post office had run it through a grinder accidentally? Because I've seen pictures of pedals that were just destroyed. Right. Like, they're made out of metal, and you think they're tough, and under normal circumstances, they should be fine. But every now and then, a forklift runs over a package and just destroys it. <laughs> yeah, it could falls you, off the truck at 40 miles an hour. Could you imagine? Not even just the money, but, like, that was Stevie Ray Vaughan's pedal, and now it's Dude, dust. super glue. It's dust now. Oh. But the upside is you could take all those parts and sell them individually. So yeah. you could... Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughn's Tube Screamer Diode. You could part it out, you know? Stevie Ray Vaughn's JRC4558D yeah. op-amp. If those, if those diodes survive in the op-amp, you could probably make a lot of money off of those. <laughs> um, SRV's tone knob. So here's no, the, just the knob. Here's the question. No pot. Here's the question. No pot. Just the knob. No pot. Just the knob. Here's the question I was asking on the group. Do you think this will push into the trend of of pre-relict artificially relict pedals i'm surprised that hasn't already started but it seems like right now most people even though oh it's just a thing that you step on like there is definitely a, a still some value to a pedal being pristine sure more so than a guitar though for what it's worth like if i see something a guitar on Craigslist or whatever, and the guy's asking a little bit too much, or maybe he's asking the right amount, but I feel like it's a little more dinged up than it should. Like, I'm definitely asking for a discount. Right, right. Um, I mean, I've got pedals that, you know, I've got the DOD 250, and I've got the original SD1 up there that are, are pretty well roused. Any boss pedal, eventually the paint yeah. starts to chip. Um, I think... And that doesn't bother me, the little chips and stuff, but I could see... After this thing has sold, if Ibanez came out with a tube screamer that looked almost exactly like this, like the same box, same switch, same knobs, everything, um, I could see someone out there paying a premium for it. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre, um, but I, I can see it. I still feel like there's a general idea that like, because the only... I'm sure there's lots of ways that that pedals can accrue this type of damage, but really what it comes down to is like so many people have pedal boards now. Uh-huh. There's not really any reason for a pedal to ever have like just all these chips. Right. It's not like back in the day when you would pull, well, some people still do this. You'd pull three pedals out of your jig bag and string right. them up on the stage and drag them around behind you. Yeah. The way I used to do. You drag them around? Yeah. Choo-choo. Yeah, my, my cable is only 20 feet long. Yeah. I mean, that's how my... T- my uh, TU2 was, is, I don't even know if I own it. I still have mine and it is a wreck. Like it is the paint, so much paint is missing on that thing because I drug it all over stages. I'm so lost right now. I don't know what happened to my TU2. I might have sold it. Or you might have donated it to a kid or something. That's probably a little more likely. Yeah. I have a vague memory that you gave it to some kid at church. Yeah. I've thought about donating mine to the church and just being like, this should never leave the stage. It's here for when people (laughs) need it. Because many times people don't have a tour right. on stage. All right. So, yeah, it, this is quite a thing. I'm not going to shoot it down and say that's an insane price. It's a collector's price. They're not buying the gear. They're buying the uh, the connection to the celebrity guitarist. Yeah. Um, who knows if it'll hold that value past uh, all the baby boomers dying in the future. Uh, will people our age continue to value it as much as it is? Who knows? But for the time being, I'm sure someone out there is very happy to have this for $11,000. Yeah. Hey, uh, Ryan, I have a question for you. Ask me the, your next question, Steve. Do you know what the word is? It's bird. It's bird. Bird is the word. Bird happens to be the word today. Today's word is bird. This episode is brought to you by the word bird. So this ad was sent to us. By the Inboxer. Inboxer. Uh, the new name for Adam Dolhanic. Yeah, we promised everyone in the Best Friends Clubs, like, 
names and titles. And we just haven't and gotten around to it. And Ryan kept saying, like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. And it just never happened. I think it's just got to happen naturally. Yeah. So I think um, I may be going through our list in the next couple of weeks and trying to come up with some stuff. So you won't hear about it next episode, but maybe in a, a future episode. And definitely uh, the fastest way, really, to, to get a title is to just, like... Send us, send us like garbage. 15 ads a day. Yeah. Adam Dohanic became the inboxer uh, when because in the last like week and a half, we probably got like 15 Yeah, it's crazy. Ads. Well, he was also on the Facebook group asking for a title. Like, oh, you can stop mispronouncing my name and just give me like a nickname. Yeah. And he suggested some. I was like, no, you're the inboxer. And I posted a screen grab of all the like stuff he sent us. Yeah, yeah. So that's where your name, what your name is now, All Adam right. Dolhanic. This body not only lets you express your your irreverence, but since there are no since there are no control cavity or bridge routes, allows for lots of build options. I believe it's intended to be a right-handed body. It is modeled on a left hand, so it could be flipped, routed, and set up for lefty. Pretty much any bridge could be used. I was going to go headless. Uh, the initial layout for the bridge J custom effects. What? From oh, the initial layout for the bridge, J Custom Effects from Headless USA seemed to line up well. You might even be able to use it as a base body. I did not measure or calculate for base scale length, so that's a guess. It's a lightweight body, approximately three plus pounds. Another guess, and a and just a bit smaller than a Tele, twelve inch by 13, uh, 13 inch approx. I'm not sure what kind of wood it's made of. The factory finish needs to be buffed out. The back is more scratched than the front. Uh, used I used some harsh light to show the back in a couple of the photos, which is actually kind of cool. That like the yeah. that he was like, look, the back, the finish isn't glossy. It's really like matted. I'm gonna like throw some contrasting light so you can see that. Um, overall, though, there are no major finish defects. It's drilled for neck ferrules. So I think I've seen these before. They I think they were up on uh, Guitar Fetish. In like their clearance section, um, they get all kinds of different bodies from different manufacturers overseas. Right, and this is a, one of like the really weird ones that they've gotten. Yeah, it's basically shaped like a hand making a fist. Only the middle finger is missing, and in its place will be the guitar neck. Yeah. So basically, you'll be flipping the bird one hundred percent of the time that you're playing this guitar to people. Do you think you could pull this guitar off in church? Oh, probably not. I would have a really tough time justifying this. <laughs> like a really tough time. Um, it's kind of it's kind of really quirky in a fun way. Like I could see someone legitimately playing this on stage somewhere. It's a seventy dollar body, so it's not like crazy priced. I feel like this guy's trying to make a profit on this thing. If probably. I, if it was on guitar fetish, like I remember, and it has the scratches on the back, yeah, it's like, probably like twenty bucks. It's probably like twenty bucks. or thirty bucks or something like that. So this guy's trying to play the flip on this. Uh, it's a it's a cute project. If you if you want to make this this uh, this statement on stage, why not? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you not to do it. I think the the neck isn't going to look quite like a finger, obviously, because it's going right. to be a lot longer. Well, that's why you go headless. Yeah, you got to get the the length down a little bit. You could do a short scale neck on this, like a do a sonic neck or something, yeah. and that might pull it back a little bit. Uh, but it's a, it's fun. It's a fun concept. I get it. <laughs> Even for seventy bucks, it's like if you're trying to do something weird, you want a weird project. I go for it. I think you you should paint this thing red and then do the lines white, like. To make it look like, you know, like a board game piece or something. Like, you know that, like, rummy cube sort of look? You know what I mean? Because the, the, the fingers are, like, carved out of the wood. So I'm saying you should flood the carves, like, routes with paint. And do, like, a brighter color on this. Oh, okay. Or make it, like, like one of those foam fingers, you know? Gotcha. Like, yeah. one of those foam sports fingers. Yeah, like but we're the number middle finger. one. Like, this yeah. will be your number one We're guitar. number one. Like, you could uh, you could pull it, put this in a case and be like, hey, you guys want to see my number one guitar? And you pull right. this out. It'd be neat to have put some sort of, like, inlay on the neck that says, like, F you. <laughs> that would be funny. But yeah, this quirky. What do you think, Steve? Uh I, I get it. It definitely looks like a cheap body. Definitely, like you yeah. said, like the GFS thing. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's a thing, I guess. <laughs> it's a thing, I guess, says Steve. Maybe I'll make one of those little quote graphics for you this week that says that. It's a thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't see this ever landing in my collection. But uh, if someone handed it to me, I'd play it. That's for sure. And if I saw someone playing it, I'd be like, yeah, that's hilarious. The pickup route is a little mystifying to me. It's like dual humbucker, right? Yeah, but it's like to, to to not mess up the routes for the finger image, like the humbuckers are really close together. So it's like right. you don't get a neck humbucker, you get a bridge and a middle humbucker, which is interesting. It's probably better. It probably does. It probably sound, sounds awesome. It probably sounds really good. <laughs> it's probably the way every guitar should be set up. Yeah. Totally. All right, well, that's ads. Should we try to tackle this topic pretty quick? Uh, yeah, yeah. We did a little longer stuff up front, so we're going to shorten it down here in the back. Yeah, we'll, do, we'll do a quick talk. It's like a reverse mullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, Paul Roney proposed a topic on the Facebook group, which you guys should all join. I know for a fact that there's more people listening. Facebook.com slash groups slash 60 cycle home. There's more people listening than are on the Facebook group. And a lot of you who are on the Facebook group are not participating. Maybe you're reading, but you're not. I think a lot of people just read. And that's totally fine too. If you just want to watch the madness, that's fine. But if you're a listener and you're not on the Facebook group and you have a Facebook account, yeah. What's stopping you? I think a lot of people find our page and they think it's the group. So, right. You know, I don't know. It's not our front page. So, it, you have to find the group and you have yeah. to ask to join it. Yeah. You want to join, you like the page, you join the group. Right. You want to be a joiner and a liker. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, do that so you can interact with us. And that's a, that's a, it's a decent way to get ads from your local Craigslist or eBay or Reverb to us. Um, although it's better to send us an email. But, uh, Paul Roney mentioned on the group that he'd like us to talk about uh, pedal jack placement, top versus sides. What's your opinion, Steve? Uh, you know, part of me feels like we talked about this before. I think we've mentioned it before, but I don't know if we've done it as a topic. Um, well, basically for me, I would say that I like pedal jacks in general just to be consistent, whether that's top or side. Um, I own, I think I own a pedal that has top jacks, but then the power plug is on the side. Yeah. So I feel like that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. Um, but overall, I, I feel like the side jack is kind of like a classic aesthetic. Uh huh. Uh, maybe because of boss, um, because I guess if you go back really far to like this pedals from like the sixties, uh, like the early fuzzes and stuff, those were all top jacks. Not all of them. Well, our, I guess the one the image that popped into my head was top jacks. But then those pedals were also huge. Like you think about the Maestro fuzz and that had the knobs on the top and the jacks on the side. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of, the knobs on the top. Yeah. That's right. I think in the in the early days, it was all over the place. There was ones where it was on the top as far as, far as like the jacks were on the face of the pedal, like up on top. Right, where right. Normally we'd have knobs and switches. Now they have the jacks It's up like there. the love pedal believe. I mean, they, they experimented a lot back then because there was no standard yet. Now it's like a pedal is, even though there's some crazy designs out there, pedals are pretty standard now. Yeah. They're either on the top or the sides. Uh, I, I'm not with you as far as everything being the same, uh, but I definitely... When you get a bunch of pedals that are top jacks and you can put them close together, it's kind of a neat thing. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you get five pedals in a row and you have room for one more pedal on your board. Right. But then the trade-off is your pedals start getting really close together. You start making mistakes when you're stepping on them. And I found that even with my pedals where they are top jacked, I end up giving them an inch or two in between anyways because of that. Right. Like certain pedals, I know if they're too close, I'm going to step on them at the same time yeah. with my big dumb feet. So it's kind of like, it's kind of a moot point to me. I've never had a pedal where it's like, oh, side jacks. Now I can't use it. Well, I think it really depends too on like the overall pedal design. I'm looking sure. at your board right now and like with the Palisades, uh, you know, the not, the switches are so spread out. Yeah. That yeah, I can definitely see where you're where you're running into you know a situation where you're gonna be like hitting the things. But then I look over at like 
You've got the like if I put the Palisades next to the Bellwether, hitting that hitting the right. switch that was on the side, I would start to get caught up on them. Right, but then that now I'm looking at like the you've got your MXR EQ uh-huh. and your uh, pitchfork next to each other, the EHX pitchfork. Yeah. And if those were top mounted jacks, you'd still have like a good inch and a half of space between the switches, even if they were like yeah. smashed into each other. Yeah, that'd be fine. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely like an, it definitely depends pedal to pedal. I think overall, like, it would be kind of neat if everything was universal. Sure. Um, but there's also, you know, there's there is some consideration to be said for the fact that you uh, that it it does affect layout, like it affects yeah. what goes on inside. Um, it affects like how small things can really be, um, and you know, I just I don't feel like there's a clear answer. And honestly, like I don't feel like I have like a strong opinion. Strong opinion on it. Um, some of it, I think, were aesthetic choices early on by companies like Boston Ibanez uh-huh. to have recessed knobs, and by having recessed knobs, it forced them to put their jacks on the side. Like you could, yeah. Well, I think for a lot of pedals, that is what it comes down to. Like if you look at some of the uh, Earthquaker devices stuff, some of it's on the top, some of it's on the sides. Yeah, I think it ha- entirely has to do with the guts. I think like JHS much- is the same way, where it's yeah. not necessarily consistent. Oh, totally. Uh, I'm trying to look for an example. I'm not sure. But I think it has to do with the case and what's inside the case. Um, and how much room there is, you know? Like the tremolescence, that's the jacks on the top, right? That's from Dr. Scientist. Oh, there's... Yeah, the, the input and output jacks are on the top. Um, I think all the JHS stuff I have up there is side-jacked. But then there's uh, some Earthquaker devices stuff where it's top jack and then side jack. Isn't the is the Grand Orbiter side jack? No, it's top jack. And then the uh, the dirt transmitter is side jack. Yeah, so it's kind of all over the map. But I like I said, it, I think they have to make allowances for that per the design of the pedal. Yeah, just to fit things in there correctly. And it's, I'm fine with that. I I think it would be easy to form a strong opinion on this and be like oh well I only if only that pedal was top jack I would get it or all my other stuff is side jack so I gotta get it but it's like doesn't really matter I thought honestly like I think part of the the fun of the great chasing the tone dragon uh-huh. you know whatever that so many people are doing is is pedal board Tetris oh totally and going like alright I've got a PT2 can I fit what one can, more? What can I fit one more? Like, can I ditch one pedal and reconfigure everything and fit this on a PT Junior? Yeah. You know, can I, mean, I? If I if I did the thing that people do where they try to fill every square inch by turning pedals sideways and stuff like that, I could probably squeeze three more pedals on my board. Right. That's not that's not my style though. I kind of like to have everything kind of be linear for me. Yeah. Um. And I don't. I've got big feet too. I can't get in there. You gotta wear them pointy pointy boots you gotta man. get those pointy boots um you know uh <sighs> and it, it kind of spins off into another thing that i saw earlier this week uh cusack pedals uh yeah. which makes some really great pedals if you guys yeah. aren't aware of cusack pedals what what kind of rock have you been living yeah, under cusack music like he's he's one of the ogs of this kind of boutique pedal world i think he came on the scene like 2000 2002 somewhere in there I have no idea, but I know he's been around for a while. He's been around for a long while. He's, he's one of the first tap analog tap. Yeah, uh, the tap of world, the the tap uh, tap of delay, tap of world, tap of screamer. <laughs> I think there it, is. Was a, it a tap of screamer or tap of fuzz? I think there is a tappable drive in there somewhere that he did it as yeah. a joke. Um, but he does he does some really great stuff. The Cusack screamer is a modern classic. Um, but. He, he he posted something on his Instagram that was his his screamer pedal, which is top jacked, right. compared to a uh, the new miniature Ibanez tube screener, which is like you know the finger style enclosure yeah. Yeah. with which is side jacked with you know you know 
honestly, and to be fair, kind of the bigger style L Jacks sure. plugged into it. Um, and the comparison was that with the plugs put into a mini pedal, it's the same so- like like real estate being taken up by the mini pedal as right. the scream as his Cusack screamer. Right, and you know, people commented on that and were like, "Well, what if?" Uh, what if you offset your pedals? So you know, what if your jacks are offset? So the so the cables over overlay yeah. each other. Or what about what, pancake? What plugs? about pancakes and this and that, and whatever? And I get that. Like, there's things to work around it. But I, I think he does raise like a an important point that you know, yeah, you're saving some real estate with the mini pedal, but you're not saving as much as you as think. much as you think. Yeah. Although I'll say, when I have a mini pedal on my board, it does free up a bunch of space all of a sudden. And it's not just the space that it frees up; it's you notice the extra space you have in between other pedals because right. you weren't planning on squeezing another pedal on there. And so you throw on a mini pedal, and now you can squeeze on another pedal yeah sometimes you know know, that extra literally quarter inch width yeah it that is enough to to fit one more thing on but i also use pancake plugs so it's like i i don't use up a ton of space with my plugs um i've got one mini pedal right now which is the tc electronic uh shaker yeah and that i don't i could fit something regular size right there it wouldn't be a stretch but it gives me more space, and I don't mind that, you know? I think mini pedals have their, their place. I think if you're in between two pedals, and one's mini and one's big, and you're picking one just because it's mini, uh, you're probably making the wrong decision. <laughs> like, pick pick the one that sounds the best. If one sounds really good, and it happens to be small, then why not? Like, I've got the mini foot fuzz from JHS up here. Right. That's a great, like, silicone-style fuzz. It's, but it just happens to be small. You don't need a big case for a fuzz. Nope. There's just, you know, like just a handful of components in there. So that's, I, I'd say as far as the size war goes for pedals, don't worry about it so much. Get the one that sounds yeah. best. Unless we're talking about, you know, original uh, electroharmonic stuff where it's like, okay, why is this phaser you right. know, the size of a cinder block? What is yeah. going on yeah. here? You know? And I think with the mini pedals, like the mini pedal size reduction does make a big difference if you know everything else being equal in terms of cables and everything like uh-huh. if you're using a you know the mini tube screamer to replace a standard TS9 uh-huh. then you are saving like a bunch of space like you are sure. saving probably you're saving space. a good inch of space and if you on want board. if you want to do the Steve Ray Vaughn thing then you can get two of them Put the thinnest pancake plug yeah. possible in between them, and it's like you've got two tube screamers in the space that you of, originally had one and a half of one and a third or one and a half or something like that. Right, right. So you could squeeze more in there. I think if you did a whole board of mini pedals, obviously you're going to have a lot more pedals on there. But <laughs> then you've got a board of mini pedals, and it's like, okay, do any of these sound great, or did you just get mini pedals? Casey used to have a board of of like all, all the, the moors. Yeah. Well. Anytime you talk about stuff that Casey had, it's always like <laughs> Casey used to. Casey used to have this. Does he even listen to the show? I think so. I think he said somewhere he was either joking or being serious that he doesn't actually listen to oh, the show. Oh, yeah. He, th- those are the choices. Right. Indeed. He was either joking or he was being serious. Right, right. But you know what I mean. Like, I don't, I don't know if he was joking or not. Yeah. I haven't seen him comment on something that was on an episode in a long right. time. For what it's worth, like, and, and that's this is one of the things I, I really enjoy about the Facebook group is there are a lot of uh, active guys. And like I say a lot, like maybe, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 percent of the people who are like really active in the group don't listen to the show. Sure. They just really love the vibe. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then some of them just recently were they were like, honestly, I've never listened to the show. And I'm like, why don't you? And then they started listening and they love it. Yeah. So if you like, if you're on the Facebook group and you like it, but you haven't listened to the show, you're not hearing this, but you should listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have anything else to say about this topic? I don't think so. We're at an, an hour perfectly now, so All right, it well, lined up good. So uh, we got this song. Uh-huh. I think we are down to the song business. I don't think we have no other business. We have no other business. Uh, this was sent to us by Will Cobb um, about a little over a month ago. 
we got a little bit of a backlog of songs. Yeah, that doesn't mean don't send us songs. It yeah. just means, you know, if you send us a song, it might be a month before you hear it on the air. But that's how it goes. And uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it, it's better that way because otherwise you got to hear national anthems. Yeah, totally. Well, maybe you love national anthems. No one loves national anthems. Oh, come on. Nationalists do. No one that listens to this show loves national anthems. <laughs> oh, All right. Anyway, man. so Will Cobb says, hey, guys. I hear you're recording tonight and thought I would submit a two-hour project I did on my last day of music therapy internship this past semester. Me and a co-worker had two hours to kill, so we wrote and recorded this stupid one-minute song using the gear in the music therapy clinic. GNL Legacy, Roland Cube, Roland Electric Drug Drugs. <laughs> Roland Electric Drums. Sign me up for those Roland Electric Drugs. Fender Jazz Bass Direct. I played guitar and bass and he played drums. We were trying to make the craziest, dumbest song ever, and this was the product. You should use it on the show tonight. Well, well, we are using it on the show tonight. Thanks for sending it to us. Yeah, even though it's a month later. Uh, so this is just a project song, so there's nothing to do. But it is pretty dumb, and it is pretty crazy. Uh, it's the I would say that it's kind of like the prog or like hair metal equivalent to Jazz Domingo. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. Oh my gosh. All right, guys. Well, enjoy. Yeah, you're going to love this. And uh, you'll listen to us next week, I'm sure of it. Bye bye. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four.